Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible and you're joining us, I want you to hold two spots, one in Matthew 17 and one in 2 Chronicles 14. We're in part two of our series called Seriously. It's a serious series. And we're talking specifically about what it means biblically to take God seriously, to take what he says seriously, and what happens when God's man takes a vacation from taking God in what he says seriously. And what we're talking about is basic relationship. In any relationship, there's the sending and receiving of communication, and either we listen to that communication or we don't. We respond to it or we don't. We value that communication or we don't. We believe what is said or we don't believe what is said, depending on who's doing the talking, right? And usually, if you're close with someone, you take what they say seriously. You know, there's there's different kinds of relationships in your life and different levels of seriousness when it comes to those interactions. And the Bible reveals that if you're close to God, you'll take what God says seriously and you'll take his person seriously. You consider him. You consider what he says. And that's a battle. That's what we've been saying in part one is that in a relationship with God, it is a battle to take his person and his words seriously because there are opposing forces that want to dilute who God is and what he says. And that's what we learned in part one where we saw the devil's strategy of making cloudy, you know, what God says is clear. We see the devil's strategy of making optional what God declares final right? And so that strategy is exists right now. It's in play and it's happening to anyone who is a person of faith and wants to grow in their relationship with God. And that, that cloudiness and that, that optional mentality when it comes to God and what he says and how you respond to it, right? Uh, that, that moves us to maybe call an audible and uh, like we saw in part one with, with Saul. Uh, and when you call an audible, after a play has been called, it changes the play. For the Christian on the journey with God, there's the plays that God calls in his playbook. And then the Bible reveals that there is no such thing as an audible when God calls the play. Only God can call a change in the play. And so... That's what we're talking about today. And let me tell you where we're headed uh, in part two, right? We're gonna, we're gonna look at God's mind on this whole topic of taking him seriously. And we're gonna see from the gospels uh, some aspects to not taking him seriously from Jesus. And then we're gonna look at a man uh, who took God seriously at the beginning, and then he took a vacation from taking God seriously. His name is Asa and we'll kind of look at his life, see his journey, and then we're gonna make some observations. So let's first get God's mind on our topic in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 17, right? So Jesus is together with the disciples, that's the context, and then we roll the film. At the bottom of the mountain, they, 
Jesus and the disciples were met by a crowd of waiting people. As they approached, a man came out of the crowd and fell to his knees begging, Master, have mercy on my son. He goes out of his mind and suffers terribly, falling into seizures. Frequently, he is pitched into the fire, other times into the river. I brought him to your disciples, but they could do nothing for him. Jesus said, what a generation. No sense of God. No focus to your lives. How many times do I have to go over these things? How many times do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy here. He ordered the afflicting demon out. And it was out. Gone. From that moment on, the boy was well. When the disciples had Jesus off to themselves, they asked, Why couldn't we throw it out? Because you're not yet taking God seriously, said Jesus. The simple truth is, is that if you had a mere kernel of faith, a poppy seed, you would, you would tell this mountain, move, and it would move. There is nothing you wouldn't be able to tackle. What a vignette, what a situation. A uh, little awkward, where you have Jesus and his guys together, you have a demonic situation and a battle against evil. The disciples try to bring the power of God into the situation. They can't deliver the boy. And then we see this reaction on the part of Jesus, a real palpable uh, frustration over one thing, them not taking God seriously. And so let's just unpack a couple observations, actually four, that we see in Matthew 17. And the first one's this, my attitude toward God impacts my life with God, right? My attitude toward God impacts my life with God, the quality of the connection, right? So Jesus says, you don't take God seriously, that gets me frustrated with you. What a generation, he says, all right? Secondly, we see that my attitude toward God impacts my life in God, all right? So the first observation is, man, if I don't take God seriously, that affects the quality of my connection to God. But then if I don't take God seriously, that impacts the quality of my experience in God. And the two go together. It's a better experience when one person in a relationship isn't frustrated with the other person, right? And we can realize all the benefits of that relationship without the frustration, okay? Third observation is my attitude toward God impacts my life for God, right? If I don't take God seriously, right, my, my ministry suffers. You got Jesus, you got the disciples, he's sending them out to do stuff, but because they don't take him seriously, they're running into walls as they try to serve the Lord, all right? Quality of my service, all right? Fourth, and this is super important, my attitude toward God impacts my life and battle against evil, right? That's the context of this passage, right? There's men in relationship with Jesus. There's needs to, to do effective spiritual deliverance, and then there's an attitude that Jesus points out in the disciples, 
And that attitude of not taking God seriously impacts their ability to win the spiritual battle, right? So followers of Jesus could not overcome evil. Why? They weren't taking God seriously? Jesus says, yes, right? And here's here's the, the domino effect, right? So there's an attitude. They're not taking God seriously, which means that they're not yielded totally to his person and authority. When you're not yielded to God's authority, you can't wield or deploy his authority. I want to say that again because it's really important, and I know you're in a spiritual battle, and you want to wield God's authority. You want to live and operate and deploy the power of the Lord Jesus in your life and in situations. But here's the thing. If you're not taking God seriously, that means you're not completely yielded to his authority if you're not yielded totally in every area of your life to his authority, then you cannot expect to wield his authority in spiritual battle, all right? So my attitude toward God and specifically taking him seriously, taking what he says seriously impacts my battle against evil and affects the quality of my power. So do you see how our attitude toward God and whether we take him seriously as a person and what he says as God, um, it impacts the quality of my connection. It impacts the quality of my experience in God. It impacts the quality of my service for God. And it impacts my battle against evil. You see, uh, when I take evil, I mean, when I take God seriously, evil must take me seriously. And that's a dynamic that we see in this passage. That boy was undelivered because of an attitude. Wow, let the paint dry on that, guys. Pause, think about that. Because we're all in a spiritual battle. We all wanna win the spiritual battle. But an attitude can sabotage your power. My attitude toward God and his person, and who he is, and my attitude toward what he says directed Uh, at me. Now, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus talks about what happens uh, when we we put him off or we give self-permission to sort of dilute uh, his person and authority in our lives. Jesus says in John 12, if anyone hears what I'm saying and doesn't take it seriously, I don't reject him. I didn't come to reject the world. I came to save the world. But you need to know that whoever puts me off, refusing to take in what I'm saying, is willfully choosing rejection. The word, the word made flesh that I have spoken and that I am, that word and no other is the last word. So do you see how there's Jesus's person and the the reverence and respect that that commands, he is a living word. He's the living word of God. But if you refuse to take in the living word of God, Jesus himself, and Jesus's words, all right, that's the battle. Do you take in and internalize? And does that internalization lead to uh, an application 
of what he says in your life or you put him off. I mean, I love the language here because a lot of times we might not outwardly reject what God says. We just delay doing what he says, which is rejecting what he says. All right. That's what Jesus says. There are some of you watching right now. God's asked you to do something, but you've, you're sort of like, you got him on a timer. Well, when this happens, I'll do it. If this happens, I'll get more committed. If this happens, you know, I'll give generously. There's a variety of things that God is doing in all of your lives that are unique to you, and he's calling you forward, and he's given a clear word, but you're putting him off as if it was cloudy or optional to you. And so what Jesus is saying is when you do that, um, you're choosing rejection. And what I love about this passage is that, you know, if you've ever asked yourself, you know, is, is Jesus really serious? And, you know, what if Jesus was serious? We see Jesus taking himself seriously. He says, the word, the word made flesh that I have spoken and that I am, that word and no other is the last word, right? So the person of Jesus is the last word. His opinion and direction and revelation on any issue is the last word. So that prompts the question, if Jesus takes himself seriously, do I take Jesus seriously? Do you take the person of Jesus seriously? Or do I kinda sorta take him seriously? Where I feel the freedom to just sorta, you know, I can put that off and you know, the timing's not good for, for me to obey now, but maybe if A, B, or C happens, then I'll, wow. What peril do we put ourselves in by having the wrong attitude toward Jesus and his word? Okay, so there's God's mind on our topic. We're gonna do it every time, just, just like we did in part one. We just did it in, in part two. And we see how our attitude affects our life with God, in God, for God, and against evil. Powerful, powerful truth. Now, let's go into a narrative in the Bible in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, right? About a man named Asa. And just like we had the lesson of Saul in part one, like don't don't call an audible when God gives you a clear direction, right? The lesson of Asa is to is to fight for your finish, right? And I think we can all agree uh, that starting a race is different than finishing a race, right? Uh, or maybe you've heard it this way. People don't remember how you started, but people will remember how you finish. And when you read the Bible, you see guys in the Bible, you know, they, they have slow starts, they have bumpy starts, uh, some have strong starts, but you know, the start of the race is meaningless. The middle of the race, even though you fight in the middle of the race, is meaningless unless you finish the race, right? And and the Bible uh, says the same is true in your journey with God. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, will be saved, right? Now, that's every man's battle. Like when you're running a race, it's it's a mental thing, it's a physical thing, it's a discipline, 
uh, thing. And for every man who loves and knows God, right, uh, it's difficult to stay, to stay disciplined in your commitment, right? Why? Because life uh, will throw you curveballs. Unplanned, unwelcomed, um, interruptions come, uh, life happens, things outside of your control happen that can that can kind of knock you off your mark, right? In your commitment to God. Or maybe there's trauma. There's trauma. There's loss. And that loss leads to depression. And it's like in your blood. And it's almost like a, a lead blanket over your life. No, I I get it. I know that the ideal is that we're 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 strong to start, we're strong in the middle, we're strong to the end, but man, Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble and life will bowling ball you and you might get knocked off your mark. I have great news. You know, there is a way back. It is true biblically that you know what? You can have a slow start, you can have a bumpy start, you can have a strong start, a bumpy middle, a slow middle. God is interested in the finish. And that's why we're talking about Asa, all right? Asa in 2 Chronicles 14, man, amazing start. And just for context, he came from a super evil family. So this light of a man comes out of a really dark and evil family history right? Um, and he becomes king uh, in Judah. And he's alive when, when there's Israel to the north and Judah to the south, and they're, they're in conflict, all right? God's people are in conflict, all right? And, and he's a great leader. He's one of the few kings uh, during his time that's actually good and that actually loves the Lord. So his dad dies, and, and Asa becomes king but here's the thing about Asa. Super strong start, but then he stopped taking God seriously as his journey went forward. And the, the result of him kind of taking a vacation from taking God seriously, heart drift and a poor finish following a really strong start. So here's the goal of kind of looking at Asa's time. Just let me give you a lens for which uh, that you can use as we sort of look at his life is how can I add a strong finish to a slow start, a bumpy start, or a strong start? How can I add a strong finish to a slow middle maybe? Maybe that's where you are in your journey. You know, you, you, you're kind of feeling commitment fatigue, right? Or a bumpy middle. Something might have pushed you off your mark. Or even maybe you're Maybe you're feeling good in your journey right now in the middle after the bumpy part was at the beginning, right? How can you add a strong finish to that stage of your race, all right? So let's look at Asa uh, in your notes, and um, we're going to look at Asa's amazing start. So, um, and, and this is very common uh, with believers, and particularly men. We're kind of, we kind of have a, a reputation as uh as really, really energetic and strong on the front side, but 
not really good finishers. But let's look at the let's look at the positive side. Let's look at Asa and just see a few things about Asa. The first thing I want you to see about Asa and his strong start is that Asa was reliant upon God. All right. Um, let's look at when he first became king, and we kind of see his character and commitment translate into into conduct. You know, as a leader. Um, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them, Judah, with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Merishah. Asa went out to meet him and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephatha near Merishah. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled. Do you see how Asa's reliance upon God secured victory through God. Very important. You know, that's that's how it feels. I remember um, my first phase of my my journey as a as a new believer, putting my trust in the person of Christ and in the work of Christ for salvation, and then continuing to put my trust in the person of Christ and the words of Christ for my transformations. Right? Exciting and that that reliance upon God, just winning victory after victory after victory, right? Feels good. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about at the beginning, right? Some of you are in the middle and you're like, you know what? I'm not seeing a lot of victories. Well, you can always track victories in God to reliance upon God. And it doesn't mean that God's gonna give you the circumstance you want. It means he's gonna work out his purpose his good and loving purpose for you. That's the victory that we see in the Bible. But when it comes to Asa, amazing start. Why? He was reliant on God. And as we look through his start, just remember that the things that you do in the beginning of an exciting relationship, you got to continue to do. So let's look at the second thing. Not only was Asa reliant upon God, Asa was responsive to God. Now, what does that mean? All right. Well, it means that when he received a word, whether it was direct from God or from his pastor uh, at the time, they were called seers, um, men of God. Uh, when he received a spiritual charge, uh, his spirit responded. Okay, and we we see that uh, we see Asa's responsiveness and spiritual agility uh, in Second Chronicles fifteen verses seven and eight. Uh, and, and let me just give you one bit of context. The first sentence is an encouragement from his pastor, okay? A spiritual advisor. He says this, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. All right, so this man speaking for the Lord tells that to Asa. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the detestable idols 
from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. So Asa has this reliance upon God, this energy for God. And then when he gets a spiritual commission like that, which was be strong, don't give up your work for the Lord, God's going to reward it. What does he do? He, he goes, okay, that's a word from the Lord. It came through another man, but that's for me. And God says, don't give up, be strong. I'm going to receive a reward. What does he do with that? He, he took it in. He received it. And then that created this, this higher level of courage. That higher level of courage inside worked its way out in conduct outside. And then what did he do? He did what, what nine out of 10 kings during his time could never do. And that was remove the idols and false gods from other cultures that had been allowed to pollute his people, he took them out. I mean, that takes guts, right? You have to go and remove stuff. It takes resources. It takes will. It takes energy. And Asa was like on the warpath. I mean, not only did he do it in the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, but he did it in the towns that he captured in the hills of, of Ephraim. And then he didn't stop there. He's like, we gotta, we gotta fix the Lord's house. All right, I gotta put some energy into that. Man, what a great message for this cultural moment, right? We have all these idols, right, in, in our culture, political movements, political philosophies, uh, gods that are not gods, and we look at Asa at a time when things aren't optimal. He's got enemies to the north, enemies all around him. But man, this guy is responsive to God. And he's like, you know what? I got to focus on my relationship with God and rely on him. And then I need to lead my people into a movement, into this revival. But I got I to gotta take away the false gods so that we can worship the one true God, man. Asa, right? This is this is this is in the Bible because this is how we want to be. But but we don't want to be it just at the start or just in the middle. We want to be that way all the way through our lives. So that's the second thing we see. Asa was not only reliant upon God, he was responsive to God. Third thing we see is Asa was responsible with his influence. Okay, as a leader, Asa is connected to people. As a leader, man of God, you are connected to people. Right? And you're leading one way or another. I don't care. It's not The question is not, am I leading? The question is, how are you leading? What kind of way am I leading? Because if you interact with people, you're influencing. Influencing is leading. right? But Asa is connected to people. And we got to see how he brings his faith into his specific environment as a leader of a faith community. Well, we see that. In 2 Chronicles uh, 15, verses 9 through 12, it says this, Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin. So this is after he removed the idols. So this is like phase two. Phase one, remove the idols. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people of Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, 
who had settled among them, for, listen to this, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. Did you guys catch that? So the kingdoms are divided. Judah is to the south. Israel is to the north. But this dude, he's got a reputation. People are going, God's on this man. God is doing something in this man, right? And what happens is, is that they start coming because they realize God's hand is on this leader and on this man. And what does he do with that influence? He leads them in worship and recommitting themselves to know God and to seek God. Asa is relying upon God. Asa is responsive to God. Asa is responsible with his influence. And then, you know, the result of this amazing start, his reforms, his spiritual emphasis, his modeling, his reputation, his influence. The result we see in 2 Chronicles 16, 19. It says, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So you see that there was, you know, years uh, 1 through 25 of his reign. That was like a rocket ship uh, filled with liquid nitrogen commitment, liquid nitro consistency, Asa has an amazing start and middle of the race. Now we're in the middle, and guess what he gets? Ten years of, of peace, but now we're at a turning point, guys. And this is where, um, if you're not there yet, you will be. Uh, some of you are there right now. Some of you have come out of a season like this, but this is, this is a real turning point. Year 36, right, of Asa's reign it's kind of near his finish, but we see a turn. And, and the headline is, Asa's last years, the drift, ugh, and the fade at the finish, right? And the context is, again, he's in, this, he's, he's in Judah. Israel is to the north. They're at odds, right? And there are other parties that are exploiting this division, right? Kind of sounds like our culture today and Christians, where you've got people who believe in God, and then you have these outside influences, and we're pitted against each other, and they're getting exploited. That's what was happening then. You could say that's what's happening now. So let's pick up the story uh, here in Second Chronicles 16, 1 to 3. It says this, in the 36th year, all right, here's the turning point year, of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord, of the Lord's temple. All right, so this is 
God's money, and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Quote, let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha so he will withdraw from me. So you see this situation. And what had happened, real simple, uh, Basha, the, the king of Israel to the north, he basically cut off the supply chain by clogging a road, right? So, so people are gravitating uh, toward Judah, right? We, we read about that, right? He's got a reputation. God's on this dude. And then, and then Asa decides to do something he knew God did not want his advisor, his, his pastors around him, you know, would, would definitely advise him, you know, don't do that. And that is to make a worldly alliance to achieve a practical goal. And if you're tempted to divorce yourself from Asa, that's exactly what God's men do all the time. We make worldly reliances. We turn to the world to achieve practical needs and to achieve practical goals versus what, right? Doing what he did at the beginning, relying on God. And that's the first observation that we see as in, in Asa's drift, right? What does the drift involve, right? Write this down. Asa stopped relying on God. There's a situation he can trust God just like he did before with the Cushites, right? It's just a new situation, kind of a new problem. And it's a big one, but God's bigger than the problem in front of him, just like God was bigger than that big army that he needed help defeating. And God helped him defeat that issue. But instead, what he does is he looks to the culture around him, right? Where can I get an ally who will break a treaty? And when he, when that ally in the world breaks the treaty, my practical need will, will get met, the, the road will get unclogged and will still you know, be experiencing success. Fellas, when you're a man of God, your first call is not to the world. I'm going to say it again. There are a lot of you out there, when you have a situation or a problem, you don't call on God, you call on the world. You don't call on God's word, you call on the world. You don't call on the Holy Spirit who lives within you, the power of the resurrected Christ. You don't call on the name of Jesus, you're like, I'm resourceful, right? Well, guess what? Your resourcefulness in the world and through the world kills your reliance on God. And that's what happens here, right? He stopped relying on God. There's an unholy alliance that is made between God's man and a worldly king and culture that's full of false gods, right? And we read about that in 2 Chronicles uh, 16, verses seven and eight, uh, the confrontation, right? And his pastor, uh, Hanani, comes in to see him and it says this, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand, were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, 
he delivered them into your hand. Wow. That confrontation of Hanani coming to Asa and going, bro, what you did right there, that was not what God wanted. And there's a history here with you. You'd think after that amazing David versus Goliath situation where God brought you the victory, that you'd turn to God and rely on him versus relying on the king of Aram. Wow. And you see Han and I kind of pointing it out to him and going, man, you got deliverance that last time. Why didn't you go back to the one source that you know, who's God? This speaks to us right now. If you want a strong finish, you got to continue relying on God. Just remember, and there, there's the Holy Spirit right now is calling a lot of you back to reliance upon God. You know, you may have had a slow, you may have had a strong start like Asan or in a bumpy middle, or maybe you had a bumpy start and you had a strong middle, but maybe you're near the, maybe you're nearing the finish. Maybe you're in your, the fourth quarter of your life. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are in your journey with God, you rely on God as a man of God, right? And that's why God has put this in the Bible. Whenever you see a confrontation of a prophet and a leader or a man or a person, that situation is in God's word for us. What's the Holy Spirit saying right now? Don't you stop relying on God. Don't you turn to the world or an unholy alliance to achieve a practical purpose. Turn to God. Let God release the situation. Let God bring it, but turn to God first. He may use different people. Like we read in the Bible that God, God used pagan kings to accomplish his purposes, but it was after the man of God relied on God first and called to God. So Asa's drift involved him stopping relying on God. Secondly, Asa diluted his strong commitment. In this discussion with his pastor, Han and I, um, you know, he confronts him and he says, yet, you know, when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And then he says this in verse nine, following that statement in confrontation, he says, for the eyes of the Lord, right, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. My guess, and I, I only can guess at this because of the context, is that Asa's strong start reflected his full commitment. And it looks like by all measures and all data that his behaviors reflected his full commitment. Bold, right? Risky, um, strong, right? And then Hanani says, you know what? You got that kind of commitment? God's that got that kind of commitment to you. You know, it reminds me of when a Haitian preacher came to my church and uh, he was sensing through his translator that people weren't really taking what he said seriously. And he, he 
he turned and pivoted and he said, say this with me. All for all. And everybody said, all for all. Then he said, say some for some. And everybody in the church said, some for some. And then he said, none for none. None for none. And then in, with his, his cool brown eyes, he just really focused. And he just said, if you give God none of your commitment, you'll get none back. If you give him some of your commitment, you'll get some back. If you give God all of your commitment, you're going to get all of God's commitment back. It was sobering. You could hear a pin drop. Because what he was doing is he was putting us into a commitment MRI. You notice the words of Hanani, the man of God. He says, God, God's eyes are looking around the earth uh, so that he can support those who are mostly committed to him, sort of committed to him, kind of committed to him. No, God's looking to find men whose hearts are fully committed to him. Man, in this cultural moment, you know what we need? We need to restore our full commitment to God so we can shine our full light for Christ. We don't need a diluted version of Christianity. We don't need a worldly version that reflects political philosophies. We need a full commitment to the Lord Jesus. Or we can be like Asa. We can do a foolish thing and make unholy alliances with unholy beliefs from an unholy culture, right? And we're going to be defeated. We're not going to be delivered, right? And the very things that we want won't happen. So men of God, I'm just telling you, God is raising up a, a movement of dangerous good men who are dangerously committed to Jesus Christ and to doing good, right? So... What does the drift look like in the bad finish? You stop relying on God. You dilute your strong commitment. Lastly, Asa became an angry and distant man. Wow. How sad is that to even write down and say as a finish for a guy who, who at the beginning was so reliant on God, was so responsive to God, was so responsible with his influence. He's angry and he's distant. And we read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet, though his disease was severe. Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. Wow. So do you see this drift into self-sufficiency leading into uh, a dilution of his commitment? where I'm sure he wouldn't deny God, but he's not relying on God. He's not responsive to God anymore. And as self-sufficiency and the dilution of his commitment enters in, it takes over his insides. And then a man of God comes to him and says, you know what? You did a foolish thing, 
know, and at that moment, he had a chance to go, I have done a foolish thing. I need to repent and turn and change my mind about who I am and who God is and how the relationship works. And I need to go back to what I did at the beginning. Do you know that God is saying that right now through my lips to you? There are many men, you're, you're sitting in your home right now. Many of you are in a coffee shop. There's some of you that are on a run. There's some of you that are sitting in a car uh, in a parking lot having a cup of coffee right now. You know what God is saying to you? This is your moment. You had a strong start. Then somewhere along the way, you drifted. And I want you to have a strong finish. Some of you are in a bumpy place where you just, man, you, you hit a speed bump of life and maybe you lost somebody you really loved. And you got depressed. And you started feeling bad, so you wanted to feel better. And then that led to some other bondage. God is speaking to you right now, my friend. And you know what he's saying? This is your moment. This is it. Don't be like Asa. Don't turn bitter. Don't turn angry. Don't turn distance. Turn to God because he's waiting for you. And he wants to give you victory. And even though you might not feel or see the purpose around why your circumstances are the way they are. God's bigger than your circumstances, just like God was bigger than that vast army, the Cushites. You need to cry out to God. You need to rely on God and don't become an angry man. There, there are those of you who, because you've drifted from God and self-sufficiency and anger has taken over your faith and reliance upon God, you're like an, a, you're like an emotional porcupine. You know, when a, when a porcupine has its quills up, hard to hug, right? Hard to love, right? People want to love you, but you push them away. And it's not doesn't have anything to do with them, even though you make up stuff about them, to justify your anger and your distance. It's about you, and you need to repent. And you need to humble yourself again before the Lord your God who wants to give you his grace and cover your, your, your loss and your fear and your hurt and to make you new. Don't become angry and distant because the result is what happened to Asa. Right? It, it summarizes a king usually when the Bible begins to talk about him. The Bible begins to talk about Asa in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 1. It says this, Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Did you catch that? He had a good run. And in his days, his country, you know, there was, there was a good time with him, right? But then his, his commitment to taking God seriously, being responsive to God, relying on God, being responsible in his relationship, that went down. He took a vacation from taking God seriously, and then you know what entered his life? War. He, Hannah and I told him, you're going to, 
You've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you're at war. Wow. Chaos. Some of you are listening to my words, and your life, the headline is chaos. And we can trace it back to your faith, your reliance upon God, your responsiveness to his will, what he wants you to do. And if you want the chaos to end, you have to recommit yourself to Christ. Right now, you need to recommit your life to Christ. I just I feel that God's spirit is, is, is calling men right now out of chaos and into commitment to his son, Jesus. Some of you, it's recommitment. Some of you, for the first time, you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're like, I don't want chaos anymore. And if Jesus Christ can deliver me from the chaos, I want to rely on him. I need to begin a relationship with him. Right? So we're going to pray before we finish. And I just want to pray a prayer right now. There's guys right now. I just want you to stop what you're doing. Put your pen down. Stop yourself. Sit down. Some of you right now need to hit your knees and come before the creator, the God who made you and intended in creating you for you to know him, to be known by him. And God is bigger than whatever chaos you're in. But to take advantage of a relationship with God and to have him win the victory over what is overwhelming to you, you need to get into relationship with him and access the full power of God by saying yes to the person of Christ and the work of Christ, by taking God seriously. And so if that's you and if that's your heart, just say this right now, God, today's the day. This moment is the moment. This is the turning point for me in my journey with you. I'm coming back. I'm not going to become the guy who became angry and bitter and lived in chaos the rest of my life. I'm going to be the guy who says, God, I've blown it. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your power. And I need your grace, which comes to me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, your son. And so I receive what you did Lord Jesus, for me, I say yes to your life. I say yes to your death and what that accomplished for me. I say yes to your resurrection. I receive you. And God, I want to take you seriously. And so, Lord, fill me with your power. I don't want chaos anymore. And I receive your peace in my life on the inside right now. I receive the Prince of Peace into my life and I declare peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, there's a lot of guys right now who are now in the family of God. There's guys right now, that God's just put a spiritual spine right into their spirit, and they're walking tall, and we want to help you in that journey. Just make sure you're back here. Make sure you tell somebody today the commitment that you made. Just by yourself, just just to say, hey, I made a recommitment to Christ. Would you do that for me? And that will seal your commitment when you verbalize it to someone else. So let's look at, let's finish up our study. That was cool. Let's look at the bottom lines, right? The first bottom line is Jesus himself in Luke 14. He says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, 
Everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build, but wasn't able to finish. In the Bible, when you see the metaphor of the tree, the house, or the tower, God's talking about a life, right? And in this passage, Jesus is just going, you know what? If you want a life in me, you got to count the cost. Once you start the relationship, you got to commit to finishing it, right? Versus fading. And that's really what I want you to hear from me this morning in this, in this second session of Seriously. Right? Commit. Commit to Jesus. Stay committed. Do whatever it takes to maintain your commitment. Because if you don't fight for your finish, you'll fade. All right? Here's the next bottom line, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous dads, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I believe that if you're tuned in to this live stream, you long for that moment. More importantly, you long for a strong finish so that you can receive a strong reward. But you have to think about that moment. That's a bottom line too, right? Jesus says, count the cost, all right? This relationship requires commitment to the end. God is a finisher of what he starts, right? Secondly, from 2 Timothy, what we see is that there is a moment where your fight to your finish is gonna be rewarded, right? So let that moment, that hope, right? Like our brother Paul, he's fixed on that future moment. What does it do? It fuels his commitment now, right? So hope drives discipline and commitment. It pulls us forward into that. And those are the bottom lines. Remember Jesus's words, guys. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's why we're here for you at every man. That's why we have all these curriculums and we want you to engage God's word in the context of being a man, right? With a group of men, right? Men who are gonna sharpen you, men who are gonna encourage you, men who are gonna pray for you. So guys, if you're watching this study and you know of someone, I think that there's hundreds of men out there right now and you're like, God, this dude needs to hear this, right? Make sure that you share this, this study with them and invite them to come back uh, on a weekly basis or just listen to the archive study. You share it, okay? I'm gonna close this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this study. Wow. We need to go back to the beginning and do the things that we did at first to, to cultivate our first love and finish strong. So Lord, uh, thank you for Asa. Thank you that we are just like him. Thank you for his start and thank you for showing us his finish. We wanna do the things Asa did at the beginning. We wanna rely on you. We wanna be responsive. God, we wanna be responsible with our influence. And I pray for every man listening to the sound of my voice, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill him and cultivate reliance today, Lord. Fill him, Holy Spirit, and cultivate 
an agility, a responsiveness to the voice and direction of God. And then, God, I pray for responsibility with what you've given us. To whom much is given, much is required. Lord, we have this hope. We have this good news. We have this wonderful gospel of God's love. Help us to be responsible with it. And like Asa, win as many people. Bring them to relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's men said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.